Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Lions fans. This is Jesse Cass, and this is the LMU Basketball Podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network, LA's number one sports podcast network, and the only place for the show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our LA teams. Do you believe? And hello once again, Lions fans. Jesse Cass here with you for the Believe in LMU Basketball podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. Really happy you could join us as we get ready for the Junkanoo Jam here in Bimini in the Bahamas. It's where we're recording this podcast from as the Lions have three games in four nights. Going to have a great preview of all of that for you with LMU assistant coach Derek Clark, who is very gracious to join me on the LMU Basketball podcast. Before we get there, want to let you know you can follow along on the show on any of your favorite directories, including Apple, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeart. You can also find the show at Believe.com. So please rate, review, and subscribe. Really appreciate that. As we said, the Lions are here in Bimini, in the Bahamas, getting ready for the Junkanoo Jam. They'll start off with Air Force. If you're listening here on Thursday, uh, that'll be today, uh, 4 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time, so 1 p.m. on the West Coast for everyone back in Los Angeles. Uh, you can find me on the broadcast of that, broadcast of that on KXLU 88.9 FM uh, for the Lions who come in at 1-2 and two after another competitive but tough loss against Colorado State. LMU led early by double figures. They led by 7 at the half, uh, but Colorado State turned it, up, turned it up offensively in the second half of play. Close ball game. LMU had their chances, but a tough loss at home. Obviously, LMU turning the page and getting ready for the tournament here against Air Force Indiana State and Duquesne will be their three opponents coming up in this tournament. And to cover all of that, as we said, LMU assistant coach Derek Clark joined me to talk about the past game, the upcoming games, and everything to do with LMU basketball. So enjoy our conversation. Quick note, uh, there was some hotel noise every now and again in the background, so just be aware of that. But a great conversation with Derek Clark. Here it is on the LMU basketball podcast. We're now joined by our guest here in the LMU Basketball Podcast, LMU Basketball Assistant Coach Derek Clark. Derek, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Jesse. Thanks for having me. I'll tell you what, I've been looking forward a long time to being able to join you on the podcast. Yeah, and you've uh, you've been with the staff here, Mike Dunlap, for a couple of years now. Uh, we're here in just the, the early stages of the season so far, one and two on the year. We're here in Bimini in the Bahamas right now. Uh, what's the early part of the season been like for you and, and leading up to this tournament? How's it been so far? Well, it's kind of been a... Um a roller coaster ride, you know, because you deal with stuff that, that most teams deal with injuries. Uh, we're very young, we have a lot of new guys, so um, you know, you can go two days of being very steady, and then you know, just the experience of playing at this level for a lot of guys, you know, makes for uh, conditions where they're up and down. But I tell you what, the um, the good part of it is having a new, lot of new guys is you get to do a lot of teaching, you know, and that's what we're in this thing for is to teach the game and. Um, anytime you get an opportunity to teach guys that you haven't had your hands on before, that's an exciting process too. And as a coach, you kind of answered a little bit of it there, but when you do deal with injuries, has that changed your approach in terms of just the, the strategy and the philosophy of, of guys taking that next step up and playing more minutes than they might have been expecting early in the year? Well, some of it, um, I mean, you, you never really plan on having injuries. You know, you, it's, sometimes it's luck. You know, sometimes it's bad luck. But I think what you do is, you know, when you recruit, um, 
you know, you try and recruit guys that you feel can play sooner than later, even though they may be young. Um, and, you know, those guys get to accelerate their learning curve. You know, when there's injuries, you go from, you know, a guy that's probably outside the line in terms of playing to all of a sudden in practice, you know, the, the, um, the sun is on you, you know. So I think that more than anything is – once you put a guy in a situation where he has to step up, you know, because maybe an injury and he has a bigger, bigger role, you just try and as an assistant, I speak from an assistant standpoint, is you try and do little things with him uh, away from the floor, uh, watching film, you know, whiteboard um, sessions where you're going over plays and whatnot. And, you know, kids learn at different rates, but uh, sometimes the only thing that uh, can bring a guy along is just experience and being in games. Yeah, and... For those that watched the team last year, such a great year with 22 wins. It was really the defense that was the, the strong identity of the team. Some of those players are back, but as we kind of alluded to, a lot of new guys as well. Uh, defense is always going to be a big part of it, but what do you see the identity of this year's team being as you get things going? You know, I think one is uh, versatile. Some of it is out of necessity, but we do have some versatility on the team. We have a lot of... Um, if you watch us play six, 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 seven, a lot of guys in that range, whether they're perimeter players or inside players, uh, anytime you lose a seven, three in your group, you're going to be smaller, you know, from day one, you know, losing uh, Matias, who I feel like was, you know, one of the top three or four bigs in our conference had he come back, which you'll be back next year. But I think um, the versatility, um, you know, so you can do some things defensively. We just have to continue learning the system with so many new guys you know, some of the little details on how to guard a ball screen. And, but as we're, as the season's unfolding, you're learning still about these guys. And I think one of the things we're going to be able to do defensively, and it'll be down the line, is um, do some switching, which they do a lot of stuff in the NBA with switching. Houston Rockets made it um, popular in a sense. Um, but, you know, the, the ability to switch down the line, I think it's going to be a good thing for us because it's disruptive when you switch, you know. So going back to your original question, I think we got a chance to be versatile, you know. I mean, shoot, you've seen us put Eli Scott at the point, for example, yeah. you know, and he was a four basically his whole career here, and all of a sudden he's playing the point guard, and he did a really admirable job when he filled in at the point spot. Yeah, and you, you mentioned about the, the NBA being so versatile and the Rockets starting that. Was that in your approach in, in terms of recruiting – this past season of trying to build that more versatile roster and how much do you have to be able to adapt as a as a coach and what you're looking for and, and how much basketball is changing over the years yeah I think in terms of recruiting the first thing the first trait that you know that we're so we're all on the same page as a staff is you know a guy's ability to play hard you know and you never know when you get him in your environment is every day you know it's different than say high school or junior college but to the best of your ability you want to check that off the list that hey a guy is able to grind and play hard you know and I know that sounds like a a given but in some cases it's really not and that's know? its own unique skill set yeah. is being able to play it hard really is and, and you have to define what playing hard is in our system you know and that it, it's not just you know the guy that can go the longest and practice sometimes you you know let's say you're feeling under the weather do you have the ability to grind through you mm -hmm. know and yeah. You know, no one wants to be sick, but, you know, you have to have the ability to play hard and, and fight through a little adversity, you know. So going back to we did try and target getting longer guys, more athleticism, you know, length. Um, so, you know, guys we have aren't six nine, six ten, but they're long. You know, like if you look at a guy like Jonathan, you know, who's six seven, but, 
his wingspan makes him about seven feet. Yeah. So, you know, uh, you know, LZ, our other Serbian, 6'6", but he's very long through the arms. So that was targeted because we felt the need, you know, to play the way we really want to play defensively and eventually offensively, too. We needed more athleticism and length. So that was something that we targeted. Yeah, and so far, one and two on the season as we get ready for this tournament. The two losses, while frustrating, there's been a lot of encouraging signs with the team. As you mentioned, it's a young team. Uh, leads in both of those ball games. Uh, is that just something where it's a young team you kind of have to learn and go through those lumps to to come away with victories and get those lessons? Yeah, unfortunately, I think so. You know, I mean, you know, they say you learn a lot from losing. It doesn't mean we want to lose by any <laughs> means. You know, uh, I'd rather learn later and win. Yeah. But at the same time, it's a long year. The season is a marathon. You know, like you said, we're one and two. But the things that you build upon is. If you look at on the road at Nevada Reno, who's been one of the better teams in the country, if you take winning into account and what they've done there and going on the road with a young team and an experienced team, we had a double-digit lead in that game. And we led for, you know, obviously we had the lead at the half and for a good part of the second half. And um, we just don't have the ability to close out games yet. And some of that is a learning curve and understanding when you have a lead you know, for example, that you have to be more delivered with your offense and, you know, be very selective with your shot selection because if you take impulsive shots, now it speeds the game up and all of a sudden, you know, you're allowing some runs to possibly happen. So I think some of this stuff, we're going to get the benefit of it. It may not be till we get to league, you know, where we go through that process of saying, okay, we're in this situation and we have a chance of it. And now you fast forward, you go to another Mountain West team, um, in Colorado State, I mean, we were up 14 in the first half. Yeah. And, you know, to me, thinking like a coach, and I'm sure our whole staff felt like this, we could have very easily been in a situation where we were up 18, 19 at the half, you know, and um, we made some mistakes. A lot of it is due to inexperience in youth. Um, and so, you know, we learned from that, those conditions where, you know, hey, this is how you win, this is how you play when you have a lead. We just haven't had a group that has been in that situation. Yeah, and you mentioned Eli uh, taking on that point forward, point guard type of role with the team. Uh, how early on did you identify that he'd be pushed in that situation, and what led you to believe he'd be successful in it? I mean, he's done a great job averaging over six assists a game yeah. and, and really doing, taking to that role well. Well, you, you lead with talking about the assists. I mean, I, I believe Eli is one of the best passers in our league and for his position in the country, in my opinion. He just has a, a knack for making the right pass. You know, it doesn't mean he's perfect and doesn't have turnovers, but – you know, uh, you watched him last year. We played a lot of high-low with Matias and he yeah. being up top, and he had the ability to put the ball where Matias needed it. And it's not – you can't just say, well, he's 7'3", so it's easy to feed him. But, you know, like putting a certain touch on the ball where he can catch it, for example. Yeah. You know, Eli just has a knack for passing. He's a great passer. Um, but you don't know how he's going to – uh, translate that when he has to handle the ball 94 feet and get us into the offense and get us in sets, you know. And uh, he does have a high basketball IQ. You know, he understands how to play the game and he understands the art of passing, which it is. And, you know, the passing and, and getting assists, it makes guys feel good, you know, if you have the ability to do that. And, um, you know, I mean, if you look at a guy like Jaleel Tripp, for example, at Pacific, they used him as a point forward. He played a lot of point. And he's similar uh, physically to Eli, and he was towards the top in assists. Well, yeah. I think Eli, you know, and I may be a biased comment, but Eli's a better passer in my opinion. He could, you know, 
my opinion, he has a chance to lead the league and assist, you know, at that point forward yeah. kind of spot. He just uh, has an understanding. I mean, he makes some passes where sometimes you scratch your head like, wow, how do you see that, yeah. you know? Um, so a lot of it's God-given, but he's a, a smart individual when it comes to basketball too. Yeah, and as you said, that, that six-assist marker is something that you could really see. If he's at that number around there, that's going to be near the top of the yeah. conference. So that's going to be really something to look forward to when it comes to conference play. Uh, now, DC, you did the scout for uh, this first game, the Air Force game. It's coming up to start off the tournament. And you, of course, previously worked at Air Force. Uh, what was it like to just see one of your former schools on the schedule and, and being able to prepare for that game? Yeah, I didn't think too much about it when I first saw it. But now, you know, you have time to digest it. I, I had uh, two wonderful years there. It was a unique experience. It's uh, one of the special places. The service academies are totally different than anywhere else in the country because of you know, the student athletes that you have there because of this certain situations. I mean, they're there to, to serve their country yeah. eventually, you know. So um, athletics is very important, you know, in terms of the competition part of it, but that's not the ends for them is the athletic thing. I mean, you know, these are guys that are going to be basically running the country at some level, yeah. you know. And so I was able to be there for two years and um, – I really enjoyed the guys. I enjoyed the unique environment. And at the same time, we had tremendous teams. We had two of the best teams in the history of the academy there, uh, a lot of upperclassmen. So I know what the game is going to be like tomorrow. I'm not sure if our guys really understand how hard these guys play yeah. um, and the speed in which they play. And I don't mean like they, like they don't you know, have 100 possessions in a game, but just the cuts and – you know every act and if you relax you're going to get back to it yeah. you know I mean, everything very precise yeah they're relentless and that's you know you think about what the military is it's building teams and it's teaching guys to compete and um, putting the pieces together and so they mirror what the what the whole model is what they stand for but uh it'll be a great challenge and i'm excited um you know, I'm like anybody. I'm a competitor. And, yeah. You know, we want to get a W, but it's going to be a hard-fought game. Yeah, and I heard you talking a little bit when we were, uh, you know, going out to one of the team activities earlier today about your, your time at Air Force. And obviously, with any team, you're traveling, doing a lot of stuff. Uh, but it was interesting to hear how it was different at Air Force, just from the simple fact that when you're on campus, there's obviously a lot of military activity and training going on. And then it's just different on the military side. What, what Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, it's... it's um, you know, it's it's an arm, it's an Air Force base, yeah. basically. I mean, it's a campus, but at the same time, when you walk in there, it's like, oh, you're in the midst of the military, you yeah. know, because if you look right and left, you'll see squadrons marching, for example. Yeah. You know, you don't see kids playing Frisbee and, you know, <laughs> yeah. that type of typical stuff. Uh, it's business-like. And the biggest difference for me, and I had to, to it took me a while to get used to it, is uh, coming from the places I'm coming from, coaching wise you're used to having access to your kids like stopping by during the day in the office or yeah. if you need to go grab a kid from the dorms and those kind of things but there you only had kids for basically three hours the academy was shut down the interesting thing though is okay it could be uh, intramurals you know you had to do something in those three hours athletically I don't think most people understand that so if you were playing an intercollegiate sport and you recruited to play 
you, that same three hours would be a, just a normal cadet that wasn't playing intercollegiate athletes, but he had to pick something, you know, in the athletics field to participate in. And oh, basically, yeah. everybody kind of had those three hours. But then when those three hours were done, they disappear, <laughs> and you don't see them to the next day when you have that same time block. So that was a little strange, you know, because you're used to having your guys around you, you yeah. know, or having access to them is a better way of saying it. So, but, um, you know, it, it was tremendous. I learned a lot. Yeah, and looking forward to the matchup to start off the tournament against Air Force for this particular team. What are some of the things that they do well and that you're looking for uh, to try to cut off when, in terms of your game plan? You know, they they uh, they'll be the hardest playing team in terms of uh, and mainly from the offensive standpoint. They cut extremely hard. You know, they like they can go from zero to sixty on a cut, and um, the challenge we're going to have is with their offense which is the Princeton offense is unique in the fact that um, they're going to use a lot of the shot clock doesn't mean that they're playing slow down ball because the game is fast in the half court but they're going to make you defend for 25 26 27 seconds before they shoot the ball they typically don't come down you know within 15 seconds to shoot the ball so it forces you to be focused throughout the whole um, you know possession and if you take if one guy's out of sync you know, you're going to get cut, yeah. you know, by that. Another thing that you do is, which is unique to the Princeton offense, the way they recruit, and, uh, you know, we ran the same system when I was there, is uh, the system doesn't really work unless you can shoot it one through five, you know. So your five, man, typically is a little undersized, six, seven, six, eight, but they a lot of times initiate your offense, mm -hmm. and they have the offense in their hands, and they're able to pop out and make shots too. So, you know, you're going to have the threat of five guys that can make a three. And typically you don't see that. Normally you'll get two, maybe three guys that are proficient at shooting three. But in this situation, you got to be on alert for every guy. So it extends your defense. The challenge we were going to have is we have to shrink our defense. and We have to have great help side. We yeah. can't get extended and all of a sudden you get back door and there's nobody there. You know, and um, I've always thought with the Princeton offense, um, you know, guys don't like to get back cut because it's a little embarrassing. But what they do a great job of is they get you in rotation. They make extra passes and at least open shots. And those threes are the ones that concern me. I think we're going to give up some, a couple layups because we get backdoor. But you can't give up those uncontested threes where they're getting you in rotation. Yeah, it's, it's a very old-school offense like Princeton, mm -hmm. but as you said, it has kind of a modern component to it where they're either at the rim or trying to get yeah. open three. So it's a little bit of a mix of both of those styles. Yeah, they kind of play the analytics, and they, they have the ability to get fouled because the other thing that's unique, and I like this when I was at um, Air Force, is like when a guy cuts back door, and it could be like your point guard that's getting dribbled back door, they'll stop and post up. So their guards will post up, which you don't see all the time, yeah. and they make an effort for their guards to post up. Um, sometimes it's to catch it in there to score, but other times you collapse in there. You think about it. You got a guard running the offense from the post. Yeah. Typically, you're better passers. You know, so um, normally perimeter players aren't used to playing post defense. You know, and they do a good job of posting up with their guards too. That's part of the attack. And I think the original thing with the Princeton offense, especially at the service academies, where you're limited in who you can really get there yeah. in terms of athleticism perhaps and that's not saying that they're not athletic but it neutralizes uh, the talent gap a little bit yeah because it takes advantage of spacing and if you can shoot the basketball you know I mean three points at the end of the day is more than two yeah. you know so you got the ability to do that but you know uh, it makes you really concentrate and guard
Yeah, and obviously a, a unique opponent there in, in Air Force and uh, a unique challenge in a tournament like this where you guys have obviously been through it in, in a couple of recent tournaments, Jamaica last year. Uh, but does your approach change at all? Really the only other time during the season where you have back-to-back -back games or three and four nights is in Vegas at yeah. the end of the year uh, in terms of just bouncing back, getting ready for multiple opponents and, and kind of tackling that challenge of, of being on a long trip for a long time. Well, the mission is to try and get three wins. With yeah. that being said, the other thing is to educate a lot of these new guys and young guys that, you know, we're going to be in situations where you have to bounce back the very next night, regardless of what the result is. You're going to have to refocus. You're going to have to get to bed. And then you're going to have to have the ability to wake up, open your eyes, and get ready for another challenge, uh, you know, less than, well, 24 hours later. Yeah. You know, and then, like you said, three games in four days. Um, well, if you're going to be any good in this league, you're gonna, you have to have success in the, in the um, WCC tournament. Yeah. And it's kind of the same model when you think about it. They've changed it a little bit, but at some level, you're going to play back-to-back -back games, you know, and that. And then the other thing, too, is – you know, with us playing Thursday, Saturday games uh, in our league, is that Thursday game could be at home and then you travel. So you don't get as much preparation per se. So it's good for the staff because we have to get to the next thing and be very organized and you have to present the material to the players, yeah. you know, where they can absorb it in a short amount of time. So, I mean, just the experience of, of just the games coming hard and fast at us is going to be really good, I think. And you mentioned the staff and having to get prepared, and we talked a little bit about this first game for Air Force being your scout. Uh, to those that might just be casual fans and not really know kind of the intricacies of, of coaching, uh, what, is that, what is that like for you or any other assistant coach on the staff to have a scout and get the team prepared and, and do the work that you do in that regard? Well, you know, um, for me personally, it's a challenge because you don't there's that fine line of not giving too much but mm -hmm. you want to make sure you're covering everything you know uh coach dunlap is really big on concentrating on what we do but he understands the value of knowing your opponent too so yeah. um i tend to overdo it on the first part of the scout <laughs> you know the first couple days and i'll have a million things on that and you just boil it down to what's going to beat us you know and so you have to um you know, really have your stuff together as far as that goes. And then the other thing is you want to know player tendencies, you know. So we give our guys a couple of – our approach is this, is we need to know who we're playing against. And so, you know, if I'm, if I'm scouting Jesse and he's on that scouting report, well, here are the two best things that Jesse does yeah. that we have to be aware of. We need to take one or two of these things away and make him do this. You know, so it comes down to watching, you know – uh, in some cases, many hours of film just to boil it down, and you have an edit that's four minutes. Yeah. You know, based off watching five or six, you know, films, um, and we've divided up amongst our staff, and you know, we sit down at the beginning of the year and say, "Hey, do you have anything in common with this program?" And then once you get the league, we kind of try and keep the same scouts because we have some a better feel. You want to share scout? For example, I had San Francisco for the last couple of years, and. You know, they've had a coaching change, but I think they're going to be very similar. So, yeah. you know, and the last thing with the scouting is you want to give Coach Dunlap the most efficient information because he's dealing with uh, ten times what we're dealing with. And so you want to give him the information in a way where, okay, here are the two things, Coach, offensively and defensively. So you got to boil it down, you know, because he's dealing with a lot of stuff. He doesn't have time to sift through all that stuff that we do, you know. So yeah. um, that's the challenge as well.
Yeah, and, and on a personal level, you uh, you played for Coach Mike Dunlap, Cal Lutheran. You were assistant coach with him at Metro State. Uh, Brandon Hayes, of course, was at Metro State as well, and you were the head coach there. Uh, what led you, to, or first, when you first played for Mike Dunlap, did you ever imagine that you'd, one, be a coach, and two, be coaching with him, and then three, what is it like to, to be on a staff and working alongside him uh, like you are now? Yeah, I'd be lying if I said uh, my playing career is done and now sudden uh, my next goal is to coach. I mean, you know, when you're a player, man, you just want to play as long as you can, yeah. you know, because you love the game. Um, you know, the coaching thing, you know, it's one of those things where you either love it or you hate it, you know, because it dominates your time. Yeah. You know, this, you know, and obviously when you get older and you start having family and, you know, you your time is uh, at a premium. You know, yeah. because it, to be really good, especially at this level, you have to spend a lot of time on it, whether it's the recruiting, whether it's watching the game film, whether it's getting extra work with players. You know, your time is, is, is in demand, you know. But uh, I played for Coach Dunlap, and I kind of – I understand who he is, you know, away from just basketball. I know that he's hard on himself and he pushes himself and he expects others around him to work as hard as he does. You know, um, he's very detail-oriented, and sometimes that's hard for players, you know, because players can't see the big picture, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. it's, it's not a knock on players. It's us as coaches, we're always trying to stay three steps ahead. And if you're around Coach Dunlap, you know that he's probably thinking three steps ahead. Yeah. You know, so um, I enjoyed playing for him personally because I like to be challenged and pushed. And so that was my cup of tea, and I, th I thought that uh, – he was a great developer, you know, and he made you feel like you could take the next step, you know. So um, that was it. And now coaching with him, I've been in the business. This is my 23rd year, um, and I've worked under coach for a stint at Metro State for eight years. So I've been under him, and, you know, it's different when you go off and you're head coach and then you come back. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's almost like – uh, you have a good friend that you haven't talked to in a couple of years, but then you guys have had so much history in the past that, you know, once you have your first conversation and get connected again, it's like time just never stopped, you know. So um, it's been good. He gives me a lot of autonomy because he trusts it, yeah. as he trusts the others on the staff. And so he just allows you to do your job, but he'll push you. And uh, his job is to make you really think, you know what you believe in you yeah. know so for example if i say hey coach we should uh defend this certain way against this opponent and he'll challenge you on that and you're going to have to be strong and stand up to what you up think your, what, yeah. why you think so yeah. yeah and you know he's been at the highest levels of basketball and dealt with um coaching and coaching against the best players in the world at yeah. the nba level you know and um, the experience is, is tremendous in terms of what he has in his head, you know. So it's, it's a constant state of learning. You know, even though I've done this for 23 years, I'm still continuing to learn from him. And at the end of the day, he's a great friend. He was a mentor of mine and continues to be. But, um, you know, it's family. Yeah. And on one of your points about Coach Dunlap, you talked about players being challenged and it seems like anytime I hear from a player who has made it to the highest level professional players almost every single one of them has talked about a coach or coaches that have challenged them and how they might not have understood when they were 18 or 19 years old but how it always they appreciate it and it pays off so I, I think that speaks to your point as well yeah and I you know um it's, it's helped to obviously play the game 
And so a lot of times you have to step back in time and put yourself in players' shoes because as you get older, you, you think differently than an 18 or 19 year. You would hope anyways, yeah. you know, being 40-something years old. Um, but at the same time, uh, again, I talked about the big picture. You know, I think players kind of live in the moment when they're young. As they get older in their careers, like uh, Eric Johansson, for example, he understands that this is it. Yeah. You know, so there's a sense of urgency that's different than when you're the first year in college or second year. Now this is it, and it's going to go on to do greater things. But it's our job to kind of preach the big picture. Sometimes they don't understand that until they're long gone, and then they say, "Oh, okay, that that's what he was talking about." You know. But at the end of the day, our job is to teach him how to deal with adversity and how to compete. You know, because that's how you're going to get ahead. You know, once you leave the confines of college, you have to compete. Yeah. You know, and there is no substitute for that uh, if you want to be successful. So, but again, the assistant's role is to um, be understanding to a player too. Yeah. You know, when they have had hard days, and so if you played the game, you know that every day is not going to be a smooth day. You're going to have days where, man, I just wasn't any good today or, yeah. you know, the next day. And so we've been through that. And so our job is to, you know, give some pick-me-ups and say, hey, think about this for tomorrow and, you know, keep guys moving forward. Yeah, and another part of being an assistant coach is the recruiting. You mentioned there's a lot of, a lot of time commitment in being an assistant coach. You know, I've had to travel a lot with recruiting. Are there any recruiting stories or traveling stories that stand out to you in your time as a coach in trying to get a player or players? Yeah, man, chased so many over the years, <laughs> man, you know. The funny thing is um, you'll be successful and you'll sign some guys that you really covet, but you always, the, the one that got away is the one that haunts you, you know. Yeah. Um, we, we Sometimes it's just dumb luck, too. Uh, like with, uh, we had a kid named Alec Burks, uh, who's now with the Golden State Warriors, when we were at University of Colorado, and um, it was an, a great story. He was from Kansas City, Missouri, very lightly recruited. It was um, Colorado, it was Santa Clara University and Missouri State at the beginning of that summer. Yeah. So we got in, Coach Bizdelic, um saw him first at this little small camp in the Midwest. He said, yeah, I think this kid's pretty good. So he said, go out and see him the next week. And so we go out and see him, and he, he went over to another AAU that was pretty big at the time, Mo Can's um, uh, Adidas team that was really, really good. And he went and watched him, and I saw this 6'3 kid that were very long arms, and he handled the ball. He's very athletic. Um, so then you, we followed him the whole summer. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, you know, we're in the mix with these two other ones. But that, by, he wasn't heavily recruited by any means. Well, he had a tremendous summer going into his senior year, and that's a big make or break, the AAU stuff that year. And all of a sudden, um, it started to pick up, but it still wasn't crazy. Yeah. So we had him visit in September. We had seen him in July. And he came to campus, and we looked at each other. We were like, he looks a little taller because he was 6'3 when we saw him. Yeah. Well, we measured him. He was 6'6". He had grew two and a half, three inches over the course. He was obviously – had a great summer, and, which is, but that's unusual. Yeah. So now all of a sudden it's K-State, it's Missouri, and uh, luckily we had a great visit and we got him and he ended up being a lottery pick and left after his junior year. He was all Big 12, he was a freshman, uh, Big 12, uh, freshman of the year in the Big 12 at the time. So, you know, you got those crazy stories where sometimes it's just the stars are aligned, you get a little bit lucky, you know, but I go back to 
you always remember the ones that got away too and the what ifs, <laughs> you know, and you follow them, but you kind of got to have a short memory on the recruiting thing. And know? I feel like you were mentioning a little bit about, you know, the players that have great summers going into their senior year on the AAU circuit. That seems like it probably makes it tougher whenever yeah. you're, you know, a smaller school with bigger schools around you or if there a little more attention comes on this player, then you suddenly have a lot more competition. Yeah, that's the tough part of, of mid-major. And you're seeing it with, um, like, a lot of the, the transfer deal. A lot of guys are leaving low majors, mid-majors, and going high major. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I think that most players always think the grass is greener and they want a bigger bite of the apple sometimes, you know. And, and uh, our, the mid-majors typically are pretty good at finding that diamond in the rough, a kid yeah. that's a late developer, you know. And there was a time where you would develop them for four years and they'd end up being a heck of a players. But now, you know, you it's, sometimes you develop them for other people to come in. <laughs> I mean, that's just the world we live in with the recruiting, you know. But you have to have an eye for this kid may not be here on this particular time and yeah. point in his career, but you have to vision, envision him being somewhere by his sophomore, junior year. All of a sudden, you think he's a pretty good player. So, some, a lot of it is projection, too. Yeah. You know, with us, whereas the high majors, it's pretty clear, like, any of us could walk into a gym and say, that kid's a high major because of his talent. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not saying that the high majors, they still do a great job of evaluating. But, you know, for us, it's not as exact. And you have to project a little bit with players. You know, and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. And I'm sure that's part of just, as you said, Mike Dunlap being a great developmental coach. That's a big part of it, too. And getting the best out of these players and developing them into what you think they can become. Yeah, and, uh, you know, players, they all think they're going to go to the NBA, you yeah. know, whether they do or not. Um, and, but you want guys that have, um, you know, hefty goals, you know, that say, hey, I want to play and make a living at this thing after college is done. The percentages of guys going on to do that are very small. But you don't want to kill a kid's dream on that. But yeah. with the recruiting, any time that you can say, hey, this guy coached in the NBA, you know, at the highest levels as a head coach, that helps as well, too. You know, because kids want that. They're curious about what that world is. And sometimes that, that gets at least a conversation with a kid. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I mean, everyone's got the the kind of John Morant dream, right? Mm -hmm. You found in the back gym and then you're in the NBA three years later. Yeah, and that's why I admire guys like that that stick there and stay there. Yeah. And, and obviously they were very good at Murray State too, but, you know, he made them very good too. And yeah. those coaches knew what they were doing. But that's another example of a kid that wasn't probably highly recruited, but he went to an environment where the development was such and they had time to really develop them and, you know, once people started noticing his talent, but he stuck at Murray State and said, hey, this is the choice I made. And that's pretty admirable because especially, like I said, in these times and days, it's easy for a kid to jump ship and say, hey, this looks better over here. You know, it just shows that, like, if you can play, doesn't matter what level, they're going to come and find you. Yeah. You know, they don't, you know, guys get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to make sure that they have it right in terms of scouting the college game at every level. You know, they don't just, you know, scout high major programs, you know. So I think kids understand, and the John Morans help the mid-major programs to those stories. Yeah. That, hey, man, you know, if I'm good and I develop, and they're going to find me wherever I am, you know. And he helped transcend that program because he was such a dynamic player. But he didn't come through the doors on day one like that. There was some development that had to go on. Obviously, he was talented. Yeah, no, one, you know, a big leap from one year to the next and the next, yeah. so clearly possible anywhere uh 
Coach, before we let you go, uh, we've talked a little bit about the conference. Still, you know, a little ways to go before we get there, but the WCC has been improving, seems like, throughout the field each of the past couple of years. How do you navigate the West Coast Conference knowing that pretty much every game or any game you go into is, is going to be a highly competitive one? Man, that's the monster with our league is that, uh, you know, like for a team like Portland, for example, they've been down for a couple of years, but you look at the preseason, man, they're beating people and their scores aren't the same as what they were last year. I think our conference, you know, is scary to say, but it could be even better this year when you look at what Pepperdine or Santa Clara or, you know, BYU goes into Houston and beats them on the road. That's a tough game yeah. to go in and do that. Obviously, the Gonzagas are great and St. Mary's, but the thing that makes our conference really, really tough is um, that from all the way from one to the bottom, you know, if you're not right, you're going to get beat. You know, I mean, it's just it's competitive all the way from top to bottom. And I think it's even better, you know, because there were some young teams in our league last year. And well, now they're a year older with that experience that we're talking about. Um, it, it's a monster. You go into some good places to play. And we the WCC has stepped up their out of conference uh, schedule. You know, and it helps the strength of our conference overall when you're going out and playing good teams and challenging yourself in the preseason. People are doing that, but they're not only doing that, they're winning some of those games too. Yeah. You know, we were very successful last year, and it seems like it's, it's continuing to, uh, you know, go up another level. Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of great games upcoming in the non-conference schedule, including the three and four nights here in, uh, in the Bahamas. Coach, thanks so much for taking, taking some time here, and yeah, go enjoy a little bit of the sun, sunshine before the, uh, the sun sets here on a be day before game day. Yeah, I'll try and do that, Jess. <laughs> I mean, we after all, we are in the Bahamas, yeah. guys, so you got to <laughs> take a step back. You know, I know it's business, when we, but you got to take a step back and, and enjoy life a little bit, too, and understand that these are great opportunities, you know, and we're in a great place. So I'll definitely do that. But thanks for having me, Jesse. I appreciate it. So a big thanks once again to Derek Clark for coming on the LMU Basketball Podcast. And as I said earlier in the show, and we talked a little bit about uh, the Lions in Bimini in the Bahamas getting ready for the Junkanoo Jam. If you want to follow along, you can listen to the radio broadcast with myself. Uh, 1 p.m. Pacific time, LMU taking on Air Force on Thursday. That's the day this podcast went up. If you're listening afterward, LMU then takes on Indiana State. That'll be Friday, a 1 p.m. tip-off for that. And then Sunday, closing things out with Duquesne for a 3.30 p.m. tip-off, all on KXLU 88.9 FM Los Angeles. So be sure to check that out, uh, and be sure to follow along with the show. As we said, we're available on any directory that you can find out there. If you're listening on Apple, please rate, review, and subscribe. And be sure to check out Believe.com and check out many of the other great programming on the network as well. But that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, once again, this has been the LMU Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Cass, and this is on the Believe Podcast Network, LA's number one sports podcast network, and the only place for the show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our LA teams. Do you believe? Go Lions!
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.